Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for August 15th, 2021. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Join me as always. Welcome, Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome, Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. And when we were last talking, we were having technical issues, and I fixed them all by the time we got on. That's why I teach school, because you have to think fast and, and put the lesson back together. So um, it, it appears I've, I've corrected those issues. But tonight we are real excited about having on to the show for I don't know how many times, but for the first time as a congressional candidate, uh, Wendy Davis. And Wendy's going to join us here in about 20 minutes and talk about her congressional campaign in Georgia's 14th district. But until then, um, there's been a lot of news, and obviously there are issues we're not going to cover because – they're moving so quickly. But one that did happen um, earlier in the week and we prepared for and have time to really discuss uh, appropriately is going to be redistricting. Um, the redistricting data came out. Now, we did already know the states that were going to gain seats and the states that were going to lose seats. But none of those states knew where the population had shifted exactly. I mean, I guess you could probably have pretty key indications um, based on just what was going on in your state. Um, but this is more accurate, acute data that they received this week. Um, go, just kind of generally across the country, um, urban and suburban areas gained, rural areas lost, trend that's probably been going on, um, you know, over overwhelmingly since the Industrial Revolution continues to occur. Now, obviously, you had a period in which cities lost and suburban areas gained, but I guess uh, rural areas have been losing some population um, for many, many years now. Tim, is there anything different about this past 10 years in that area? Uh, yeah, metro areas grew by like 9%. Now, like 86% of the population in this country lives in metro areas. Rural areas, including in this state, are just emptying out. Uh, we're not the agrarian society we used to be. And number two, there just simply ain't no jobs in, in those areas, including right here in my county, which lost a significant uh, part of its population. Um, I think the most interesting thing that happened from the last census to this one, now we had the first census, guys, in 1790. For the first time ever, the white population in this country actually declined in raw numbers. There are less white people in this country than there were 10 years ago. The white population has actually achieved negative growth. It's been going down, you know, for a while as a percentage of the overall population but it is actually decreasing in raw numbers. And I, I don't think anybody really saw that one going up. Oh, I wanted to throw another one at you guys, and this is going to make a lot of sense. Now, we talked about Florida a lot last year, didn't we? Well, the fastest-growing yes. metro area in the United States is the villages, Florida. It went from 93,000 to 130,000. I would say there's one prime reason the Republicans are doing pretty well in Florida, wouldn't you? Yes. Well, you know, yeah, Dante Cheney a... was on our show pretty recently, and he talked about that very thing, not necessarily the villages exclusively, but the fact that they import older voters that are Republican-leaning like no other state in the union. Um, so he kind of identified that. Now, um, you know, I, I would be interested to see, like, 
you know, several things like why are uh, rural areas, um, why are people rural, leaving rural areas acutely? Now, we know it's jobs, uh, obviously farming, but farming probably hasn't changed in the last 10, 20, 30 years. Um, the prospects has been very um, machine-driven for a while. Uh, as far as, you know, the white population, and you're probably going to see more populations falling, if you look globally, people are having less children, particularly people that have more means, um, have access to birth control. And so I think that's just a part of that world trend. And I think you'll have well, more people joining that world trend with, um, in, you know, birth rates declining. Now, if they ever in, get to zero, we'll be in trouble. But if it's 1.7 instead of 1.9, uh, okay. we'll probably in, still survive in, as a species. In, in this country now, Utah is the fastest-growing state. And interestingly enough, Utah now has the largest number of persons under the age of 18. They have the largest percentage of persons under the age of 18. That Mormons, big families. That's got to be what it is. And and so it it depends in the country on on where you are on something like that. You are right in that most states, you know, families are simply not growing. Here's another thing. Now, even though rural counties' populations are declining, most counties in this country are not urban and suburban counties. They're still, you know, small counties like this. 52% 52% of the counties in this country experienced a population decline in the last 10 years, and just about every one of them was rural counties. They're just people are, are dumping out of those counties. They're, they're, they're leaving them, and that is not good news at all for the Republicans. It, it, it just simply is not. Um, the, the Hispanic population in this country grew by 23%. That's a pretty good jump. Catherine, yeah. um, uh, what are go your ahead. thoughts on these early numbers? Well, I, I don't think um, it's much of a surprise. I think I do think that some of the uh, numbers are the totals are surprising but i think the trends are expected um but some of these uh some of these uh increases and decreases are really pretty shocking and like tim said i think it really is uh going to be tricky for the republicans who are redistricting like in in states like georgia on how they're going to maintain any kind of leverage um, you know, maybe in this cycle they'll be able to, but going forward, they must be uh, uh, worried, I would imagine. Yes, uh, Tim, I think Catherine's right in that in 2022 they make gains, but some of the maps they draw by 2028 come back to bite them. Yeah, it could be. 37.2% of the people in this country live in five states. California, Texas, Florida, New York, and Pennsylvania. Out of those five states, you got California, which is a state that's drawn by an independent commission. The Democrats could pick up 10 to 15 states if the legislature drew them there, but they don't. In Texas... The Republicans control all the machinery. They're going to do everything they can there. And they picked up uh, two congressmen, you know, two electoral votes. They're going to do the same thing in Florida, too. Uh, Now, we might make some hay against the Republicans in the state of New York where the Democrats control all the machinery. In Pennsylvania, the machinery is split you know, between a Democratic governor and a Republican legislature. So still, though, the Republicans are going to turn to this state, for one, to to do everything they can, because it may be the last time 
because of demographics. It may be the last chance that they have to really do this for 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 a long time. In in, in redistricting, the, the the Republicans should add a minimum of six House seats just just in states picking up and losing electoral votes. Um, now, somebody explain this one to me. The fastest growing county in the United States is McKenzie County, North Dakota. Would would anybody have any wow. idea why that is? Grew by yes, that's oil. If, if you start with a low population and you add um, – uh, a lot of people, it's easier to grow because you started with a low number. But then also, um, they've also done some Silicon Valley type stuff. You know, they've done some technology jobs as well up there. Do, but do you think that's what it is? Jobs that are growing. I think that's what it is because this Their county grew by solid. over. Yeah, this county grew by over 130 percent, more than doubled its yeah. population in 10 years. You know, you know things like uh, Datatronics is uh, – I don't know which county they're in, but Datatronics, the ones that make the uh, massive um, boards that you see at sports arenas and, and stadiums, they're up in North Dakota. And those are, you know, high-wage, yeah. high-skilled jobs. So even in, when you're in an area that had a small population and then you add that kind of, you know, that job profile, um, then you're going to grow pretty quickly. But, hey, uh, we want to go ahead and transition over and welcome back to the Kudzu Vine. I don't know how many times, but the first time as a congressional candidate, welcome back to the show, Wendy Davis. Well, thank you, David. I'm glad to join you tonight. Yes. Well, Wendy, um, you, like I said, you've been on the show so many times that we, you know, Catherine and Tim and I will feel kind of, Still hearing some of this again, but for so many of our listeners that have really uh, just learned about your campaign um, and all for the benefit of them, uh, go ahead and give us a brief overview of your uh, biography, political, public service biography. Okay, terrific. Um, So, again, I'm Wendy Davis, and I am running for Congress in Northwest Georgia. The current uh, district number is number 14 here in Georgia, and uh, it's a pretty traditional, true Northwest Georgia district. Who knows what's going to happen with redistricting, but I am a city commissioner here in Rome, and folks may uh, not know the numbers, but they've probably heard of this congressional district because the current uh, holder of this seat is uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who uh, has a bit of uh, national media attention for what I think are pretty – uh, unhelpful things that she says. <laughs> and, uh, but my situation, my family goes back five generations here in northwest Georgia, and I have been uh, an activist and leader and someone who has spent 30 years trying to connect people to their government. And the last eight years, I've been a city commissioner here in Rome, which is like a city council member. So I have uh, feel like I have a lot of uh, accomplishments here at the city Um, particularly in regards to being a commissioner who's been very uh, attentive to my constituents' uh, needs and thoughts and concerns, and I want to take that kind of responsive leadership to Washington. I understand how the people in this part of our state feel um, left behind and uh, and unheard and how that can engender anger in people, Um, but I would like to turn that anger into more positive action and find ways uh, to help our veterans get their benefits and people who uh, who need to get services from the government get them in a faster uh, way. There are a lot of resources that are going to be coming to our community from Washington, and I want to make sure those aren't just on paper coming to our community but are being um, – that the people who can benefit from them are connected to them in terms of things like job training. Uh, a lot of times the programs are here, but they're not – actually getting the people into those programs to retrain them and uh, help give them an opportunity for a job that will be uh, more sustainable for their family. Yes. Now, you you um, mentioned that you've served multiple terms on the Rome City Commission, um, and so you've had a chance to work with a lot of things, accomplish a lot of things in those terms. Um, what are some things that you're most proud of, and in particular things that might – translate to federal level service 
Well, so um, finding ways to help uh, sort of get government out of the way. Uh, I know sometimes people don't believe that that can actually happen, but uh, it can, right? You can cut red tape. Uh, I have been focused on trying to help small businesses, which um, they are the, the engine of our economy, as well as making sure that our community was welcoming to new industry that might come in, particularly industry that was good for our people and good for the environment. Uh, I think those safeguards are very important. And I think, again, people are feeling very disconnected. And I have been very effective at being someone who is letting people know when things are happening, uh, surveying people and making sure I understand, you know, the sense of the community. And one of the things I'm very proud of is I have worked very hard to get um, younger people engaged and involved. And I think that's something that has been lacking in terms of our representatives who are going to Washington for us. Uh, They seem to sort of get elected and go up there and sort of disappear into the uh, randomness that can be those 435 members of Congress. And and I plan to really focus my energy back in the district and help make sure our our neighbors uh, have the resources they need and uh, feel heard and are heard and uh, represent our district in Washington instead of bring, thinking Washington has all the ideas. We've got good ideas here, and um, that's the way I'm going to try to change Washington also by I don't believe that we have to be hateful and ugly to each other. Uh, we're all Americans. We're all Georgians. Um, we can find solutions, uh, and I think the best solutions come from listening to um, people coming from different points of view. Yes, well, Wendy, um, tell me this. Uh, I know recently you've worked a lot on housing here in Roman Floyd County, and that's something that's not an exclusive problem to uh, Roman Floyd County. Um, what are some um, things you could do with your experience to help you in Washington? Well, so in in terms of housing, I have uh, I have found. Uh, the the sort of my premise of if you bring different people around the table, you can come up with good ideas. That has really happened in terms of this housing project here in our community. We are, like many communities, lacking uh, new home builds, right, or new apartment builds. We are very short on uh, opportunities for people to move into this community. And we have worked together to come up with some incentives for the city to get new house new housing starts and new multifamily starts um, so we can, um, you know, alleviate that um, lack, right, of housing. Um, And I've learned so much. We have come up with these ideas that uh, the best houses are, like, in these gated communities and big houses and big yards, and we have realized that that is leaving a lot of people behind who can't afford houses like that. And um, so – Getting people, I have been able in this year-and-a-half conversation we've had to get builders and developers to understand that that density is good and putting um, more units on a smaller footprint are what the younger professionals want and, frankly, what they can afford. And uh, and I've found that you can change people's mindset by just uh, continuing the conversation and exposing them to new ideas that they hadn't thought about. And that's exactly the kind of leadership I want to take to Washington. Yes. Well, talking about our leadership in Washington that we've had in Northwest Georgia, really even probably prior to the current representative, what's some ways you'll be um, trying to bring a different um, style of leadership? Well, frankly, it's, you know, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about how disappointing our current member of Congress is, but, uh, but the previous, the at least the last two, I could probably go back further than that. But the last two have been, um, again, just empty suits, right? They, uh, I'm a city commissioner. I've been a city commissioner for eight years, and the last congressman, I think I saw him one time involved in anything we were doing here in Rome, and uh, that's a way a lot of people do it: is they go off to Washington and stay up there, and maybe just come home on the weekend. Um, but my focus is going to be in the district. I'm going to have a, a very well-qualified staff that makes sure I'm well-prepared for all the votes and the work I might have to do in Washington. But my focus is going to be on the district, and I'm going to be engaged and involved in trying to help businesses that 
you know, need help getting red tape cut, I'm going to be involved making sure our cities and counties have the resources they need to be effective. And I'm going to be involved making sure that our neighbors are um, having the opportunity to thrive and get their ideas and concerns heard and addressed. Yes. Well, I'm going to pass it over to Catherine Smith for some more questions. Catherine? Hi, Wendy. It's so nice to have you Hi, on. Hi, dear. Thank I can't you. wait to call you Congresswoman Davis. <laughs> it um, will be so unfair that you'll have two really good friends who are in Congress in some ways, right? I know. Right? It, it, will, it will be wonderful. <laughs> um, yes, yes. I wanted to ask you, um, well, I have a couple of questions, but first, what, you know, there's a couple people running in the Democratic primary, and we won't go into their details, but what makes you the um, the better candidate than the people that are running against you in the primary? So in the primary, so there are, are three other candidates at this time in the Democratic primary, and they... Um, I've gotten to know a couple of them pretty well, and the other one I don't know very well yet, but have certainly, um, uh, you know, had occasion to find out um, that person's background. And all three of them seem to, you know, genuinely want to have a, a better representative in our district than our current one. But all three of them seem to have um, decided last year that getting involved in politics would be a good thing to do. And that's wonderful, and I'm glad to have them you know, coming in and being concerned and wanting to be involved. Um, But I think that the fact that I have been engaged and involved in the political process for, gosh, it's like 30 years now, (laughs) a little more than 30 years, um, gives me a a better place to be running from. Running, you know, that experience, I think, benefits me. Uh, The fact that I have been uh, involved in campaigns in a way that means that my campaign will be both a very sophisticated campaign as well as very grassroots neighbors talking to neighbor, I think is a difference um, that I can deliver that in terms of campaigning. And I also think that my eight years as a city commissioner here in Rome gives me a set of accomplishments that don't have a partisan layer to them, right? So I have a, a depth of participation and involvement in the party. I've been People who might have heard before, I've been a a party leader. I've been lucky to represent Georgia to the Democratic National Committee uh, since 2012. And I I might be one of the few DNC members who actually attends her monthly county party meetings. So, right, like, so I'm, I have deep Democratic roots, but I also, um, I also have uh, the capacity to have, uh, to be able to understand and communicate with my neighbors who aren't Democrats, right? Some of whom may vote in the Democratic primary, but many of whom, uh, I will, once I become the nominee, and I'm just going to claim it, right, that I, I need those uh, votes from people who think of themselves as Republicans to be able to win in the district. I, I agree with that. And as I, as you probably heard me say, I'm always a little uh, suspicious of people who just roll out of bed one day and decide to run for Congress without ever running or, being, or participating in anything else. We, there are exceptions to that, but but in general, that's uh, uh, not my favorite uh, path. Um, well, you, you know, Catherine, about... so you and... go ahead. Go ahead. Well, you and I have no, talked um, on a number of occasions. You and I have talked on a number of occasions about the party having to grow by welcoming new people and their involvement. And so, again, I try really hard. Uh, if anybody, whenever they decide they want to get involved to to welcome them and have them be involved right um but i really do think that that there's sometimes ways to uh to participate and be involved before you step up into such a leadership role and uh and so i i feel like not like wait your turn or it's my turn kind of thing i just think i'm better prepared um for the rigors of what i think will be a campaign that gets national attention and will be challenging in a lot of ways that folks who have not been involved in the political world very long um, might not be as adept at as I think I will be. I, 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 I concur. Um, So you've talked a lot about how, um, you know, you work, you, uh, you're a a grassroots candidate or I, I, I tend to 
shy away from that word, but that you want to work with the people and that, that um, it's really about we more than about you. And I really appreciate that. Um, and, but what exactly does that mean to you and how will you be able to balance the, you know, as you said, the rigors of uh, Congress and being in Washington and balancing how you uh, can interact with people in the district, you know, how are, how, what is your vision for how you balance all that? Well, so, I mean, obviously the, the great news is that we have a long way to next November, right, and a lot of time <laughs> to, to, to grow my network and grow my relationships. I obviously have a strong base of support here in Floyd County, and I know a lot of leaders across the district. And and I have the time to, to build those relationships and connect with people they know and connect with other leaders who are, are doing uh, great things and, um, and connected and involved in these different communities. And I think by having the, the time on the campaign to focus on building those relationships and focus on developing those relationships from that very collaborative collegial space, right, of going in and not saying, here's what I want to do for you, but going in and saying, what does your community need? What are the obstacles you have? How could you have a member? What do you think a member of Congress can do to help you? That's my plan on how to connect with people as a campaigner. And then, again, if, let me claim it, when I'm lucky enough to be elected, then, yes, it's a it's it's a balancing act between the time you need to be in Washington and the time you need to be in the district. Um, but, but frankly, I've been a, a busy woman all my professional career, and I'm I'm good at being <laughs> uh, what it feels like being in multiple places at one time. Uh, and and I I I do not expect to be someone who gets disconnected. I actually uh, had a dear friend of mine uh, practically crying in the in a grocery store parking lot. She's like, I don't want you to go off to Washington and become like those people. I love you the way you are. And I'm like, sweetheart, you know me. I'm going to still be me. That's I'm still going to be the Wendy you know, and I'm just going to be able to take your concerns and be an advocate for you in Washington. And so we hugged it out, and she was cool. Well, good. <laughs> but it, I understand know, I, why uh, people have those fears. Well, yeah, I think we, we um, fear that. But I do know you pretty well, and I think that um, – I find you very authentic, so I think um, I think I'm confident that you can pull it off. Um, is there any other uh, any other issue that you think really deserves attention? Like, wh- what are your thoughts about healthcare and how we manage this? You know, aside from the you know obvious crisis with COVID. Moving forward with healthcare, are, do you have some vision for that, or is it too soon to be talking specifically about those issues? So the so the issue the the piece that I am most focused on right now is trying to help our medical community get their voice heard. Right now, their voices of reason, their voices of prevention, their voices um, promoting vaccination are being drowned out. Their voices of talking about how important masks are are being drowned out by loud people who are not the majority, right? And so I'm working hard to be someone who stands up and says, I'm listening to my doctors in my community (laughs) and what they're saying. I'm listening to those professionals, and they're in a crisis. Our hospitals are in a crisis. They weren't exactly in a healthy place before all this started, right? And now exactly. you have a situation where, where we, um, we're losing personnel in, in our medical facilities because of burnout. We're losing personnel now because um, many of the facilities are requiring all of their staff to be vaccinated, and there's some people who are going to quit their jobs rather than be vaccinated. Uh, I talked to a pediatrician earlier this week, and she said she lost three people on her staff when she told them they had to be vaccinated. And and I started to say, oh, my goodness, I'm sorry that happened. And she said, you know what? They shouldn't have been in my office if they didn't understand the value of vaccinations. We take care of children. 
<laughs> and so um so there's a lot of support that is needed uh there are a lot of changes that are needed but frankly we're in this crisis and what i hope to do is 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 dig in and provide support and provide resources and provide uh, even if it's just sort of this philosophical support right at this time um to say that that they're important and i hear them and i'm going to try to amplify uh, their concerns and support what they're trying to do to protect the public in this health crisis. Thank um, you, Wendy. But we, I'm going to pass. It sure, back to- we have. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, no. you know, the economy is the is the is always uh, the one of the most important issues. And so, how do you tackle uh, keeping your economy th- thriving and and getting jobs that'll be uh, have wages that help support families? One of the issues that I think hasn't gotten enough, um, you know, people talk a lot about our problem uh, with employers needing more employees. Well, I don't think we've talked enough about how predominantly women, but caregivers in general, have been decimated um, by this pandemic. And uh, with schools closing and schools being on again, off again, uh, that has particularly put women um, – in a in a tough spot um, in terms of trying to get employment, right? So uh, imagine, you know, they were in a, a, a business that shut down, right? And so, and then they had the kids at home and they were trying to uh, do the distance learning from home. And then this, the business opened back up and maybe the schools opened back up, but then they shut down. They tell you Wednesday afternoon that it's going to be, working, you know, school from home on Thursday and Friday, you know, employers can only be flexible for so long and they're not going to be able to keep an employee that doesn't have a consistent schedule. And so on, on, if you think about probably most of the daycare uh, centers that you are aware of, most of the ones in this part of the state are all small businesses. Uh, and in many ways, a lot of women run small businesses. Well, when the daycares shut down, uh, that most of those businesses didn't have the kind of capital to survive that shutdown. And if they did and they opened back up, then they couldn't get all their employees that they had before. And an entirely different conversation is how we don't pay any of those people living wages to begin with, right? But so we've got, it, yeah. um, I've, I've, heard, uh, I've heard an estimate that it might take 20 years before we get women back in the workforce to the level they were in February of last year. And those are issues we're not talking about. Those voices are not being heard. We are not doing enough to solve that problem. I was talking to someone this week who was concerned about this um, Delta variant and how it's about to crunch the daycare centers again, just like it's going to crunch our schools. And there's not leadership there um, because in our state, unfortunately, you know, the, the governor is is squashing anything that that feels like something the doctors and the medical community wants right in terms of promoting mask mandates and and being smarter about all this and uh and having more vaccinations um but i am excited our city i think is about to do a very uh a very big incentive to get our all of our city employees to get vaccinated and so i'm i'm hopeful that we're making some progress there but but it's complicated, right? Um, we, we've gotten in this uh, very divisive time, and but I continue to hold fast to the idea that, you know, most people really do uh, care about their neighbors and, and want us all to be successful. And I think we're all more successful when we work together rather than fighting with each other. Well, that is an excellent place for me to pass it back to David. Thank you so much, Wendy. Thank you, Catherine. Yes. Well, Wendy, you started so many different new conversations about demographics. We could just keep you the rest of the evening, or I could go in a uh, probably a better di- um, di- uh, direction for your schedule, and that would be if somebody's heard what you have to say and they want to know more about your campaign, they want to volunteer for your campaign, they want to give to your campaign, they want to ask you questions that we didn't think to ask, uh, what are some ways they can do all that? Oh, those are that is a great question, and I cannot believe I haven't already volunteered my website for folks. So let me start with that. It's um, it won't surprise anybody if you've heard me talking so far tonight, but it's Wendy for Us, 
com. And that's Wendy spelled like Peter Pan's friend or the hamburger place, W-E-N-D-Y-F-O-R-U-S dot com. And um, my email is um, WD for us at gmail.com. And yeah. so um, and then I've got, there, if you go to my website, if you go to my website, I've got an introductory video that tells you a little bit more about me and my connection to the district and the ideas I have. And you can also um, contribute or volunteer or ask a question there. Excellent. So um, hopefully people will go to that uh, website and find out more. It's an excellent resource in that video. I saw it, I guess, a little bit before it was released to the public at the kickoff, and it was incredibly well done and informative. Thank you. I have a I have a great team, and uh, again, I think that 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 will make a difference, right? I have we'll have a sophisticated and uh, well resourced campaign, and I'm going to utilize volunteers in really smart ways and give people opportunities to um, to really be a part of of this campaign. Uh, it's going to take neighbors talking to neighbors and convincing them that there's a, a better way to do this than the way we're doing it right now. So I appreciate y'all letting me be on with you tonight. Absolutely. And maybe we can get you back uh, later in the campaign, but until then, have a a successful time on the campaign trail. Thanks so much. Y'all have a great evening. It's always good to hear your voices. Thank you, Wendy. All right. That was uh, Rome city commissioner and uh, congressional candidate from Georgia 14th district, Wendy Davis. Um, well, now, um, guys, before we came on with us, we were talking about redistricting. I have a feeling there's going to be many, many more conversations come out of that, particularly, you know, as states begin to take direction. So we're going to have time to discuss a lot of those things in the future. We have probably enough time to at least get a decent chunk of our buy-sell hold in Wisconsin um, taken care of. If we're lucky, we may get the whole um, Dairy State taking care of that off. But I guess the place we've got to start with Wisconsin in that U.S. Senate race would be, will the incumbent seek re-election? Um, Tim, do you think Ron Johnson runs for re-election, first off? Well, you know, I, w- I wish I could uh, answer that truthfully and say, yeah, I, I know, but... Uh... Uh, I'm 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 totally not sure. I'm I'm thinking somehow that he probably will not. But if he runs, I'm on buying. <laughs> so okay. So um, you mean to win the primary, or the whole thing? Well, no. Um, he he is the incumbent. He he could be beat, but you know he's going to be tougher to be beat because he is the incumbent. But I'm certainly going to buy him in in the primary. Yes. Okay. Um, well, Catherine, your thoughts on Ron Johnson? Um, I, I'm I'm a little hesitant about whether he will run. I think it's going to depend on uh, how strong any uh, opponents that step forward will be and also what the state of the Republican Party looks like as we get closer. Uh, but like Tim, if he does decide to run, I will, I will buy him for the primary. Yes, um, I'll tell you an interesting thing. His website actually has not had the press releases section updated since uh, 2016. I mean, I guess he put that campaign site in deep freeze, which I I, I don't know if that's a telling sign or not. I will say this. He's not given enough indications that he won't run to where um, they – that anyone else can get in the race. Um, I don't – you know, we kind of had the discussion last week. Now, this was a situation where it's a candidate that's not the incumbent. Um, so this is a candidate that not only is the Republican Party depending on him, theoretically 
um, all of Wisconsin is needing to know what he's going to do. Now, of course, I'm sure there's plenty of people in Wisconsin that would be fine if he um, headed to the House. And I don't mean the U.S. House. I mean his home, wherever in Wisconsin. But, um, you know, he kind of seems to get, seems like he needs to give a better indication. I think he will run. Um, and honestly, if he didn't run, the Republicans might could field a better candidate if someone like a Sean Duffy, maybe even a Paul Ryan. Now, I, I think Paul Ryan's actually more unpopular with the base, the Trump base, than he is maybe some um, persuadable voters. Uh, so candidates mm. like that might actually have a little easier time than Johnson, because I think Johnson has really made some controversial statements um, where you know some of those votes that he would need, and he's also going to get people to turn out against him um, more so than maybe some other candidates would. Tim, you, you may disagree with the Ryan thing. Do you disagree with Duffy too? Well, um, if I were doing Duffy, I'd do a hold but, but because he was a four-term House member. There's a fellow by the name of Mike Gallagher in, in the um, 8th District there, and uh, he got like 63% of the vote last time out. If Johnson doesn't run, that'd be the guy I'd watch. That'd be the guy I'd buy. I don't think uh, Ryan's going to run. And Scott Walker, who a lot of them still just adore up there, has already said he's out. But Mike Gallagher's a a guy to watch there, David. Yeah, and Gallagher kind of fits that, um, I guess, you know, a lot of times Republicans have really gotten pigeonholed into being these grumpier old men that um, are, are just want things like they were 50 years ago, probably before a lot of them well, were even in their um, you know adulthood. That they yearn for the past, whereas some of these younger people at least can project a different um, well, you know, kind of narrative. Um, yeah, he's done another thing too. He's been able to walk that very thin line where he just didn't have to go total Trump. But the Trump base really likes him, and so to do the more traditional Republicans, he could be more of a unifying type candidate to bring all Republicans out to vote, I would think, that than Sean Duffy or, or, or any of the other pretenders to the throne, and even, and even Ron Johnson. You're right about one thing, David. Uh, Democrats would probably prefer Johnson to run, don't you think? I think so, too, because we have some really yeah. controversial statements in particular about January 6th. So I think, uh-huh. that, you know, he would have a briefing book that is about his record that um, would allow Democrats to run. And I'll tell you the reason I think that shows how weak Johnson is, is we're about to go to the Democratic side, and there is a bunch of people that either have yeah. – um, past office or current offices or money or some combination thereof. And so that tells you kind of how people see uh, Ron Johnson's chances or if it's an open seat. Now, I don't know that we can really discuss the Republican candidates one by one until Johnson makes a move. Now, if Johnson makes a move, we mm-hmm. time, we'll come back and we'll talk about all these characters. But until then, I think we need to move over to the um, Democratic side. And I'm not going to really uh, – you know, mention the guy that's run um, in Minnesota and Kansas, and, and some of these other folks that are that apparently are looking to primary Johnson already. Um, I'm going to start with Lieutenant Governor uh, Mandela Barnes. Um, Mandela Barnes, actually, for a Lieutenant Governor, has a little bit of a national profile. Catherine, um, what is your uh, take on buy sell hold on Mandela Barnes? I'm going to buy him. Uh, I think he's, you know, he's young and uh, African-American, I, I believe, isn't he? I he believe is. he's an African-American. He's African-American and, and young. Uh, I, won't, I won't guess his age. <laughs> well, he's younger than me, so that means he's young. Um, and I think, like you said, he's getting some national attention. So I'm going to buy him for the primary. There's so many yes. people running. It's going to be really hard to come out of that pack. 
but I think the ones with some kind of uh, name recognition and national uh, attention will will probably sprint ahead. Yes. Um, Tim Mandela Barnes, buy, sell, hold. Well, I'm going to do a pretty strong buy on him. Uh, Catherine was right. He's young. He's 34 years old. Um, okay, he's 34. I don't know his age. I don't want to guess. Yeah, progressive, <laughs> progressive, especially the strong base of progressives in the Madison area, which is a big trove of Democratic voters, they're going to love Mandela Barnes. They already do, really. He would be a strong, uh, strong primary candidate with an excellent chance to uh, uh, win the nomination. So I, I'm, I'm going to certainly buy him. Yes, I'm, I'm going to buy him as well. Um, I, I will. I do want to talk about him and another candidate together. Um, and, and kind of talk about how you build a bench and you run through your bench. But I, I do buy him as a candidate by himself. And he did get in um, after at least two of the other candidates on this list, um, you know, so he must think he has a pretty good chance. It wasn't like, well, nobody's getting in. I better. There was already um, another statewide office holder, another well-funded candidate, um, mm-hmm. And he still got in this race, so he must have liked his chances. Um, well, there's another candidate, um, uh, Jillian Batiano, I believe her name is. Um, don't know that much about her. Tim and Catherine, did y'all have plans on um, buy, sell, holding her, or are you like, wait, I didn't think you were going to do her anything? Yeah, I, I do. Well, you do? Radiologist. Well, go ahead, then. Let's buy yeah, yeah, radiologist. Radiologist. No, 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 no huge background in politics. A radiologist. I, I'm, I'm going to sell. <laughs> I just, yeah. I don't think this is the year in Wisconsin for inexperienced folks to get in that race. Exactly, I agree with yeah. him 100. percent I'm selling her. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I, I, I'd own her own. Like if she was running somewhere and she was the candidate and she had time to develop and she wasn't having to run against the primary against these other candidates, I might feel a little bit better about her. But I would have to sell just um, the depth of this um, field. Now, the next mm-hmm. candidate on the list, um, Sarah Godlewski, and I may have said that a little mm-hmm. thing incorrectly, but she's the state treasurer. Um, and she's yeah. also a venture capitalist where they actually did a lot of progressive initiatives. Um, Catherine, buy, sell, hold on Sarah um, Godlewski. Uh, I'm probably going to hold her. Uh, I mean, she's the state treasurer, so she probably has some name recognition in Wisconsin. Um, but I just think that Mandela Barnes probably has a better chance and, and, and maybe a similar name recognition in Wisconsin, but further reach outside of Wisconsin. So I'm going to say hold on Sarah Godlewski. Okay, uh, Tim? Well, I'm going to buy her. Uh, I think she is one of... Uh, three favorites in the race uh, along with the lieutenant governor and one other that I'm sure we'll talk about. A lot of, a lot of elected officials in the legislature have endorsed her. And also she will get all the resources that Emily's list can provide because they have endorsed her. Cause so you can't, you can't really uh, ignore someone who's in, who's somebody like Emily's list has, has endorsed, right, David? No, and I'm going to buy. That's a good too. point. I, she was the she was the first candidate, um, I guess the first statewide. Or I'm sorry, first uh, statewide office holder in the race got in, and so sometimes you can get that. Maybe why she has a few more of those uh, state house endorsements, just because mm-hmm. people thought, well, she may be the one that runs out of the constitutional officers, and mm-hmm. so you know that infrastructure and, and that's going to help her out too. Her and Barnes are both such good candidates that are both statewide office holders. This harkens to me so much back to 2006, except this is a much more winnable seat than, unfortunately, the Georgia governorship was in 2006. 
and you have mm-hmm. two solid younger statewide officers running against each other. It's a shame that somehow one, you know, didn't kind of step back and wait and run for governor, even if it is four more years, even if Tony Evers wins and sir, even if he didn't win, it's still going to be four years and it's four years either way. But um, you're going to need a candidate for governor. And I'm sure governor of Wisconsin is probably a pretty exciting office too. I don't know who should do which one. I mean, that's not my job to decide. But it's it was a shame that they're both running for the same you know the same office at the same year and that that couldn't have been kind of worked out because uh, it seems like a waste and I don't know who's going to win between Barnes and Godlewski. I'm going to go ahead and kind of spoil the rest of it. I think it is going to come down to those two. Um, polling will be quite interesting. Um, well, let's go ahead and go into the next candidate. Now, this was the first person in. I remember. Like three days after um, he got in the race, um, Anthony Trugoski came on the show, and he told us about this guy. So if y'all remember, you have a little cheat sheet notes from a political science professor from Wisconsin. But Alex Lassaray, who is a Milwaukee Bucks uh, senior representative, I think his father owns the team, um, Mm -hmm. he is running. He also worked in the Obama administration. Tim, buy, sell, hold on Alex Lassaray. Well, I'm going to buy him. I think he's the third of three, even even though he may run a little bit behind those other two. He has a lot of union support that is extremely important in that state. Of course, being a VP of the Milwaukee Bucks, especially right now, is not a bad thing to be because anything associated with the Milwaukee Bucks in the state of Wisconsin is like golden right now. I mean, the NBA champs. Um, and and he's had uh, su- the support of a, of a lot of officials as well up there. So um, being he's who he is and has that union uh organizational support behind him. I'm, I'm going to buy him, David. Okay. Catherine, your thoughts on Alex Lasserite? I'm going to also buy him. I think for all the reasons that uh, Tim said, you know, it sounds like he's probably well-funded and uh, he may be appealing to people who want something, you know, someone who's not already in politics, you know, some people are, are some people find that appealing. I'm not one of them, but um, but that may, that may be appealing to them as well. Yeah, but he worked in the Obama White House, so he's not totally yeah, a I novice mean, I, to governor. Right, he's done the yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I'm actually going to hold him, but I'm going to you know take one piece of information y'all talked about. Tim, you you mentioned the Milwaukee Bucks. If yeah. The like mind, I don't know if they when they clinched the title. I was of course in mourning because that they had taken the Hawks out uh, one round before. But um, let's say they clinched the title on Wednesday night. If you were to put a poll to field Thursday through Saturday and polled, and even put that he was with the Milwaukee Bucks and he finished no better than third to Barnes and Godlewski, then I I would think that he wouldn't do any better. You know, than that, as far as the Milwaukee Bucks side of things goes, and I just really do feel like he he would have that trouble passing up these other two candidates, and that's why I'm not even, I'm not going to hold him. I'm just going to go ahead and sell him. Um, I, I firmly mm. believe that this is more of a two person race. Um, he's going to mm. have money, but sometimes they say candidates that have money have to spend even more money. They're seen as you know, maybe and sometimes silver spoons, which he is at least second generation here with his wealth. Um, so that's my you, thought. You on know, um, go ahead. I, I was just going to say there's there's nine declared Democrats in this race from the biggest down to the, the to the least effective. Uh, that also might indicate that they really are sniffing the water and. Johnson ain't there. Um, I mean, it, why did we suddenly have nine declared Democrats uh, in this race? That, that is a lot and very early, and three very big ones who any on their own would be great 
but and they're all running against each other. They they think yeah. there's a good reason to be doing it. Oh yeah, yeah I because agree. I think Pennsylvania is the most persuadable seat in the country. Now people, of course, put Raphael Warnock on that list too, um, but then. I, I think that in that list of top five, everybody puts Wisconsin. It's seen as maybe mm-hmm. the second most persuadable or, or flippable um, Republican-held seat after um, Pennsylvania. And so that that's why there's so much there. And I, I think, you know, if the Democrats could somehow, you know, reelect Raphael Warnock, win Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and, say, North Carolina, which are all, you know, doable – um, you know, I wouldn't necessarily bet the you know the farm on the parlay there, but you know if you win all those three, then you have a three seat cushion, um, and probably unfortunately all it will do is be a buffer against the Republican held Congress. You know, as well mm-hmm. things are looking. Well, let's keep continue to go through some names. I'm going to pick out one more, and then I'll kind of let y'all mention somebody else y'all feel I've missed. But um, Milwaukee Alderwoman. Um, Shantia Lewis, um, she is in the race. She's all, you know, another Milwaukee candidate, largest city in the state. She's actually, if I'm not mistaken, on her team is two friends of the show, um, Kara Turrentine and Chuck Rocha. Um, they're doing some of her consulting, um, which, you know, they've been picking up some races, and usually candidates that they support are, are very progressive. Um, and so she's got a little bit of a profile as well. Um, buy, sell, hold on Chantia Lewis. Okay, I'm sorry, Catherine. I should have said a name with that. <laughs> <laughs> I was so busy saying Chantia Lewis, I didn't say Catherine Sim. <laughs> um, I'm going to hold her. Uh, I mean, I think that having that team with her is a, is a good um, – signal that she is probably a strong candidate but there's a lot of people running and there's a lot of name recognition and i'm just not sure that even though she is uh you know in milwaukee and well known in milwaukee uh, i'm just not so sure she's going to be able to leverage that statewide so that would be my i would say hold uh tim buy sell hold on chantia lewis Yes, uh, because A, of everything Catherine just said, um, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking she finishes fourth in this nine-person race. If somebody stumbles, she eases up into the top three. I think that because she is from Milwaukee, there, there is a base of voters there that are, that are going to be with her, and I think it will be enough of them for her to finish fourth in this race. Beyond that, it's going to be a stretch. Well, I'll agree with you. She finishes top four, but um, that's a long to get some other candidates we really had a lot of time for. Um, I don't know if she'll finish third or fourth. I could see her passing up Lassaray, which I think all three of these Milwaukee candidates, it's going to be interesting because, you know, Barnes probably has more of a base outside of Milwaukee now that he's been lieutenant governor. But he's still from mm-hmm. Milwaukee. So if, if they split up that Milwaukee vote, then, you know, Barnes really would have to do well, say, in um, Madison. But then if um, one candidate, and, you know, you might start thinking, oh, is that Godlewski can do well everywhere else, even though there aren't that many people in these cities, if you get big shares of all this territory, uh, that could be an interesting uh, winning coalition. So I think how Lassaray – and um, Lewis, too, really is going to impact, in my opinion, who are the top two candidates. So um, all of this is going to matter. And then, of course, if what if somebody drops out before Election Day? Uh, they don't see it they, you know, being their time or our congressional seat opens up. Um, all this will impact. Well, is there anybody else, Tim or Catherine, that you want to discuss before we uh, move on? <laughs> I have Jim, a you got a few? Oh, Catherine, you got a question. I have a question. Do they have a runoff like we do, or is it the person with the most votes wins the primary? I do not know for sure. Um, that would be a good either. question. I'll have to, I'll have to look end. that one up. <laughs> yeah, I'll look it up. Yes, we'll, we'll, we'll know next we week. Can, 
we'll use Google, but then we can also use um, Anthony Chergoski next time we have him on the show, which obviously with Wisconsin being such a good seat, um, that should be sooner than later. Um, so, Tim, anybody else you want to mention real quick? Uh, you got to give a shout-out to Tom Nelson, the perennial runner, right, David, that you mentioned at okay, the outset of this segment. Uh, I'm on. I'm on a sell him even, even though you know I know he he's actually got some support among some you know well-known political people there. But uh, you know, got to give a shout out to the guy anyway. And and for those two businessmen whose names we did not mention, get out of the race. Good grief! You well, there the three of them now. Get out, Catherine. Do you have any specifics on any of these folks? No, but I have an answer to our question. What is that? That um, whoever gets the most votes wins. There's no requirement for a majority. Wow. So somebody could win it with 30% or something. Yeah. Yep. In such a large field. Yeah, runoffs are kind of a a relic of the solid South and the one-party system, um, if I had to guess. Yeah, we'll, I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll, I'll clean it all out. Adam Murphy, Tom Nelson, Stephen Olakera, Peter Perkarski, um, Daryl Williams. Um, I'm going to sell all those. Um, so that's the list that we've mentioned in case somebody felt slighted. And I'll tell you this, now, well, there's two or three names that are hard to pronounce. Now, you know, in Wisconsin, they've got some of the names that we think are hard to pronounce here, but aren't aren't uh, hard up there, so it won't be held against them up there in um, uh, Wisconsin. Well, we enjoyed having Wendy on the show, and um, excited for next week's show. Until then, it's been the Kudzu Vine. Good night, y'all. Good night, guys. Good night, buddy. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for?